0: I want to continue the theme of what we've been singing about this morning by asking you a basic question. How badly do you want this fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's one thing to say in church, yes, we're for that, we celebrate that, absolutely, it's another thing to say, okay, I'm willing to do what it takes to get there. How hungry are you for that kind of sweet fellowship with Christ? I started reading a book a couple of days ago that is by Ruth Haley Barton. It's entitled Sacred Rhythms, Arranging Our Lives for Spiritual Transformation. And the premise of the whole book is that we get so locked up into just doing life that we don't often make time and space to fulfill that deep longing we have for a relationship with Christ or the fellowship with him that we need. And so it talks about making space for him. So how badly do you want that? Do you want it badly enough? Well, here's a a picture that she gives us. She's from the Chicago area, which is far north Texas, for those of you who don't know the geography of the United States. And um, she talks about going out of that period of wintertime and the brutal cold stuff that we're experiencing now into springtime. And she likes pansies, apparently. Now, pansies had a different connotation when I was playing football in high school. You know, that was... a. Um, <laughs> these were apparently real flowers. Not sure that I knew that before this, but uh, um, she likes pansies, and she, so she was talking about going to plant them as that transition out of wintertime into spring, and so she went down to the store and bought the, the tray of stuff. And as it comes out, apparently... Uh, It's in this plastic dish, if you will, that's segmented into real small little, almost like cupcake holder things. Um, And each one of those has a small plant in it. And she noticed that some of those things had dirt in them and a real small anemic looking plant. And other ones uh, had this robust looking plant, as small as it was, still robust looking and instead of having dirt in that little cupcake holder looking thing, it was full of roots. And the dirt somehow was gone and yet the roots were there holding it intact. And she says she picked it up and looked at underneath those that were robust. There were even roots that were coming out of the hole at the bottom used to drain water. Because those roots were searching and seeking out more nutrient so that they could be more and more healthy. Now, that needs to be the picture of us, I think. I I love the the image that that creates for us. And it kind of resonates in my heart these days because I've come out of the last uh, few weeks, Christmas season, holiday season, family showed up and, praise God, family left. (laughs) As much as we enjoyed them all being here, Well, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, I've had the opportunity over the last week or so to watch more TV than anybody should ever have to watch in an entire year, much less a week, Uh, recovering from some of my New Year's special that was shared with me, and uh, I just had the opportunity to sit and ponder a little bit about my own spiritual life and growth and... um, Maybe a good question for you is the one that I found myself asking myself, and that is, am I really hungry for that sweet fellowship with Christ? And if so, then you have to begin to ask the question, okay, so what do I do about that? We're in a passage of Scripture now. This is, you know, New Year's and we think of out with the old and in with the new and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I want to talk about out with the old some, but it, it has a question mark on the end of it because uh, we, we seem to suffer in our world today from, um, maybe it's a misrepresentation or a misnomer of some sort that that new always seems to mean improved. And that's just not the case. Sometimes we find that there's real value in the old, and yet we don't trust the old too much, and there's probably good reasons for both of those things, and uh, it helps me to know that we come to passages of Scripture like this one today, and uh, this is not a new problem for us. It's one that continues to go even from back in the time of Christ, and uh, so one of the things we must do is we need to figure out, okay, am I hungry, and if so, what am I going to do about it? And there would be some who would argue, well, you do this and, you know, you read your Bible every day and you pray every day and, you know, that kind of thing. The Baptist way of life historically was you, you don't do some things and that will help your relationship. You don't smoke and you don't drink and you don't dip snuff and you don't date girls who do. And somehow that will make you better off with God. All of that gets a little bit muddy sometimes, I think, for us. I want to kind of give you a couple of things today to to hang on to. And Jesus, in this passage we're about to look at, uh, cuts through the smoke. Uh, And he actually, in the process of doing that, he begins this long encounter with the established religious authorities of his day. In the end, they're going to kill him for it. But in Luke's gospel, what we come to today is the beginning of the rift between Jesus and the religious leaders. And it's a significant thing that we get because it has to do with this idea of the old and the new. And uh, well, let me just show you a couple of things. They they have hang-ups with Jesus. Some of their hang-ups are about the stuff he does. And some of their hang-ups are about the stuff he doesn't do. Uh, but ultimately, their hang-ups are with him that he just doesn't buy into their Traditions. So let's look at it together. Luke, actually, it's in chapter five and six. You know, occasionally I like to take big passages of Scripture just to show you that I can do that because most of you think that I just like sit on one word for six weeks. And uh, So let's look at a big passage today. I want to back up from the text. I want us to look over the top of it and I want us to look at what Luke is doing as he lays out this picture of the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, we've already seen some of this beginning of a problem between Jesus and the religious leaders. It's in Luke chapter 5, and it starts back in verse 27 where Jesus calls Levi. And you remember Levi is a tax collector, and, uh, and that probably had problems for them in, in and of itself. But what really caused them problems we find beginning in verse 29, and it says this, "...and Levi made him," that is Jesus, "...a great feast in his house." And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. In other words, it was a party. And this is one of those parties that everybody's not invited. And the people who weren't invited because parties were rare in that place, uh, or at least fairly rare, uh, when they had a party, everybody wanted to go see. And so they just kind of hang around the edges and watch what's going on. And that's the picture we find in verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the first problem that this religious crowd has with Jesus is for what he does. And especially they don't like the fact that he's hanging out with these dirty people. It's now, now we need to deal with this question. I mean, you kind of leave it out here, and it'll hover over the whole discussion. Now, today, what is it that makes a person pious? Now, we tend to think of pious in a negative sense, like it's some bad word, and it really can be. I mean, the connotation certainly can be that. But the reality is, what makes a person? Let's put it in our terms. Let's. What makes a person um, righteous? Okay, that's a little bit too churchy. So let's get the essence of the word. What makes a person right in, their, in the way they present themselves with God? Well, here's the bottom line answer, okay? You can't be right if it's not for Jesus Christ. Okay? You just can't. The bottom line of the whole message of Scripture, salvation history is that sin separates you from a holy God, And the consequence of your sin and your life is the same that all of us have. It's the same sin. It's the same consequence. It separates us from a holy God. And if that's not fixed in our lifetime, then we will go into eternity separated from a holy God. Jesus Christ is the only one who fixes that. He is God's son in the flesh, lived a perfect life so that he qualified to pay the perfect sacrifice, the penalty of sin. Raised from the dead, defeating sin, went to be with our heavenly Father in heaven, waiting for the time that he will come back and get his bride. The bottom line is, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, if you are not his child by faith, you can't be right in the eyes of God. Only through him. Okay? Now, if you walked in here and you didn't know that, you're thinking, here we go with the religious stuff. Okay? Just trust me long enough. Okay? to let you know I care about you enough to tell you the truth of that I'm not trying to paint anybody in the corner or anything like that the reality is we all need Jesus Christ we all have the opportunity to have life in him but we have to choose to accept who he is that's the beginning of righteousness the scripture also shows us that after that beginning point that new birth in Christ the penalty of sin is paid then we go into this Process called sanctification. It's the process of becoming more holy, more like him. And that's the, the picture I want us to deal with today. How do we do that? What, what does it look like? How do, how do we go through this growth process? Now, the Pharisees, among other things, had differences with what that looks like. First of all, they're on the other side of the cross so that whole thing about Jesus and salvation, they're trying to figure out who he is in the first place but they have this idea that the way that you get acceptable or right with God or before God uh, involves a number of things and this is the first one. The first one they would say is you don't hang around with the wrong people. Now, half of us in here, no, most of us in here with half of our brain want to give an amen to that statement okay you don't hang out with wrong with bad hmm, wrong people, bad people hmm. How do you even say that rightly? Let me tell you how we said it in our house. I have three children, all of them now are adults, and um, when they were growing through our home, uh, we were really careful about who they hung out with. Uh, We did not let them hang out with deacon's kids as a rule. (laughs) I guess that's not really true, is it? That's not true at all, actually. Um, You see, here's my deal with deacon's kids. I married a deacon's kid, but I was a preacher's kid. So that's like double trouble is what you get with that, right? Uh, they say the reason preacher's kids are so bad is they hang out with deacon's kids. and None of that's true, okay? It's just a nice way in church for us to kind of make light of the fact that uh, some people behave themselves really badly um, and we want to be careful about who we let our kids hang out with. That makes sense? Now, see, half of my brain says that's right. Matter of fact, I don't have much up there, but the big half of it says that's right, and we handled our our kids that way as our kids were growing up. I used to love to watch Teresa with the boys that came through our house because of the girl that lived in our house. For me, and I don't want you to, you know, I don't want to ruin what little good perception I might have with you. But here's the deal: with the boys that came through our house, tied to the girl at our house. Uh, I wanted them to know one thing. I will kill you. <laughs> it's simple. It's a simple equation, right? You don't have to read between the lines. You don't have to figure anything out. They just need to know that. Teresa, on the other hand, her deal was she's the mother, and she wants to figure out who these boys are, what kind of families they come from, Okay. Well, that's okay because she knows that I'll kill them if they get out of line. So it gives her time to figure some of that stuff out. I cannot tell you how many conversations we had, the two of us, relative uh, to the friends that our kids, in this case now I'm broadening it out some, that our kids had. There's a verse of Scripture in the New Testament, okay, sort of what I'm doing here is trying to underscore where the Pharisees were right right? there's a verse in the New Testament that comes after this encounter with Jesus but still holds true and it fits biblical bad company corrupts good morals so there's good reason if you're a kid here and you're wondering why your parents don't like your friends it's because they're jerks that's why not your parents the kid anyway I guess you can interpret that however you want to interpret okay Biblically, we have to give place to the validity of what they're saying. Be careful who you hang out with. That makes sense? Okay, but Jesus doesn't accept that at face value. And I'm glad he didn't. Because those guys, these Pharisees and their scribes, it says, that's the general group of legalistic guys and the specialists in legalism. Come to him and say, you're, actually, they don't even come to him. It's kind of typical of church people. They don't go to the problem. They go to the circle around it. And so let me just go back to it again. And it says, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, we don't like what you do. You're hanging around with people you shouldn't hang around with. How did Jesus respond to that? I'm going to put it in the road trammel translation of the day. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I do want to basically get the thrust of what Jesus said. I think he looked at them and said something along these lines, your mama. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's kind of the knock on the door that says, hello, do you not see what's going on here? I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So how do you get right or live in a way that moves you forward into this fellowship with Christ? They said, you don't hang out with the wrong people. That's not what Jesus said. Matter of fact, it's not what Jesus did. All right, so that's the first one. There's a series of three here, and actually, it's four because the third one has two parts. That's the first one. Let's look at the second one, and this is chapter five, verse thirty-three. And they said. Now, Luke doesn't really identify who the they is here. Uh, the flow of the passage seems to lead us to believe it's the Pharisees. But uh, and they said to him, the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist. The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. All right, so let's stop for a second and make sure we understand what's going on here. The first part of it is we don't like what you do. Now, we don't like what you don't do. This other group of people, the righteous ones, They fast on a regular basis. Now, most Baptists don't really know what fasting is. Um, I'm not going to go into this big, long explanation of it today because I don't think it's really even the highlight, I mean, the the main intent of the whole passage. What Luke is laying for us here is Jesus is getting himself sideways with these people. And the reason he is and the arena in which that's happening is the expectations of what it means to have fellowship with God. And so they're saying, we don't like what you do. You're hanging out with wrong people. We don't like what you, we don't like what you do because you hang out with wrong people. We don't like what you don't do because you don't fast like they do. So look at what Jesus says in response. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding gifts fast while the bridegroom is with them? The... You understand what that means? There's an appropriate time to do without and an appropriate time to party. You wouldn't think of going to a wedding and not having a reception filled with stuff to eat unless it's the trammel family wedding and there we're going to try this, okay? <laughs> See how wrong that sounds? If my daughter was here, she'd be going, Dad, it just doesn't sound right that you would have a wedding reception without food and especially in that culture. <laughs> So, again, Jesus says, you know, again, I don't mean any kind of disrespect or anything, but Jesus looked at him and says, what are you talking about? I'm not doing the things you want me to do, but I'm doing the things that are appropriate to be done. Hang on to this stuff as we move forward. So he says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. In other words, Jesus is not saying it's okay to fast or it's not to fast. He's just assuming that it's going to happen. But it needs to be at the right time and for the right reasons. He also then told him a parable. I'm going to come back to the parable in a minute. But I want to jump now to the, because we're halfway through. We got two things that they've had problems with him about. We've got two more to come in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Both of these have to do with the Sabbath, okay? So now it's their traditions again, and they're not satisfied with the traditions. And so let's see what he says in uh, chapter 6, verse 1. On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, let's stop for a second and let's get the full thrust of what they just said. If what they said is true, to do what you're doing is unlawful on the Sabbath, that makes Jesus a violator of the law, which makes him a sinner which would say he's not qualified to be our savior. Okay? So let's make sure we get just how serious this charge is. So let's then, okay, we better figure out what's going on. Here's the picture. These guys are walking through the grain field. Uh, heads of wheat there. And so they grab one, they're hungry. I can think of better ways to eat personally, but you know, whatever. So they grab this thing, they rub it between their hands like this and all of the stuff falls away and all that's left is the kernel of wheat. And so they throw it in their mouth and they eat it. The reason the Pharisees said that violates the Sabbath is because they said that constitutes harvesting on the Sabbath. The problem with it and the reason that we can say Jesus is not guilty of this is because the law doesn't forbid that on the Sabbath. That breaks their tradition, not the law. You see the difference between those two? Let me give you another example of that, the tradition thing. I don't want a show of hands or anything like this, um, but I want you to think, or right? I'm going to be able to read it in your eyes pretty much. Are you one of those people or one of those families that believes that you need to pray before you eat? Now, I like this. I, I, actually, I heard a friend of mine talking about this the other day, and so I'm, I stole this illustration from him, but it's too good not to use. Um, you, know, the talk, you know, I'm talking about praying before you eat where you gather. My parents made us do this. We'll sit around, we'll hold hands, and we'll all pray before we eat, right? Right? Okay, some of you know. Um, you ever feel guilty when you don't pray before you eat? It's like you're so famished. You know, in America, we go so long without eating that sometimes... <laughs> and so you grab it and you throw it in your mouth and about halfway through, some knucklehead says, we need to pray. <laughs> well, it's not right to take it out of your mouth at that point. You don't want to swallow it because somehow we've convinced ourselves that we might choke on it because we hadn't prayed about it before we eat. <laughs> um, you know, we had a deal in our family one time. I'm going to do not try this at home. Leave this for the professionals, okay? everybody with me? We had a deal in our family because we, we did that. We prayed, we'd hold hands, and we'd pray and all that kind of stuff. And I made it my practice as the dad who called on who got to pray to wait until somebody took a bite and as soon as they did I would call on them to pray. Well that didn't happen one day and so I asked Teresa to lead us in prayer and I don't know what came over me. I don't know what came over me but she started praying and she got 10, 11 words into her prayer and I said amen. (laughs) Oh man. Do not try this at home. Now, my kids thought that was hilarious. (laughs) Teresa, not so much. Um, And it forever changed my approach to those mealtime prayers. Um, Do you do that or not? Do you pray at meals? And what if you don't? Is it okay if you don't? Sometimes we set up traditions that... Become really, really out of balance. Um, You know, one of the things I like about this church, many, many things. I love coming to church here. I'm glad God moved us here two and a half years ago. Uh, One of the things that I liked immediately was you didn't make me wear suits every Sunday. I love that. But, you know, as well as I do, there are churches where a pastor would get fired if he didn't wear a suit during a week, much less on Sunday. You know, our deal here is, in case you happen to wander in here, this guy's, I don't know, where'd you find this guy? Uh, Listen, we're just us here, okay? We come in here, all of us, in need of a Savior, having found life in Jesus Christ and loving the life that he gives us, and we share that together and we want to grow together. We're just us, okay? And I love the fact that we can come in here and just be us when we come in. If you're looking for a church home, this is a great place to come because you don't get the pretense. You just get who we are. But you know what? That's not always true. Even for me or for you or for our church or for other churches, the reality is we have things that we say, this is how we do it, and we raise it to a level that is far beyond what it ought to be. And for these Pharisees, they've done that with the Sabbath. They've taken what God said was good and what God gave for a particular purpose and they've added stuff to it and now they've elevated it to the point where they're willing to kill somebody because he violates their tradition. I'll tell you something, people get killed in churches across America every day for, for violating traditions. And so Jesus' response to them Have you not read? Man, don't you love the moxie that Jesus shows? He's not at their mercy. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, (laughs) The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Ooh, if they'd have known what he meant, they'd have killed him right then. So, what's the pattern that emerges here with Jesus? Just because it's your tradition doesn't make it right. Now, there is a right, okay? There is a standard. And Jesus is always going to hold to the standard. That's where we're going to finish this whole thing today. But don't miss the fact that he says, just because it's your deal doesn't mean it's my deal. That's a good thing for a church to figure out that Jesus can say. Because sometimes we ask Jesus to come in and bless what we're doing, and Jesus says, I'd have no part of that in the first place. Why would I bless it? You didn't ask me about that. You just did it. Oh, well, that's too close to home. Let's keep going. So here's the fourth one now, another one tied to the Sabbath. Remember, let's keep it all in perspective. What does it take to to be right with God and to live in such a way that you're progressing in your fellowship? These Pharisees were saying you don't hang out with certain people. You do the right things, particularly fasting, and you keep the traditions. And so here's another tradition And on another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Let's make sure we get the picture here. Jesus now is so well known for stepping into those situations of sickness like that that they see somebody who's got a problem and they think to themselves, I bet he does something about that. I, I love that reality. How would it be if Jesus was so at work in his church in America today that when a negative situation stepped up the people out there thought to themselves, wonder what Jesus is going to do about this. We've relegated him to just a thought. He's not really all that active, apparently. Verse 7, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. So you see how this is ramping up. But he knew their thoughts. (laughs) You can never beat somebody who knows what you're thinking. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose, and he stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you is it lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do harm to save life or to destroy it checkmate and after looking around at them all he uh, at they're looking around at them all he said to him Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. So once again, their tradition said, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That's work. Jesus cuts through their tradition, and he comes back to the heart of God. that is always about people. Don't miss this. As a Christian individual in your life, as you say, as I I go into the new year, I want to do some things that will help me move forward in my relationship with God. Don't miss this fact. It is not about a bunch of check boxes that God lays out in front of you and says, check these things and everything will be cool. It is always about God loving people. And so the best thing you can do to move forward with him is to let him love you and position yourself so that you can experience that consistently. Now that involves some things that we talk about like prayer and Bible study and those kind of things. But when we slip into our tradition that says, well, you need to read your Bible every day. Don't just read your Bible every day. Let your Bible read you every day. You'd be surprised at what kind of changes that'll bring. And see, the deal with all of this is that these Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who pulled it all together for everybody, they had so elevated their traditions that they had marginalized people. And God will never have any of that from his people. He'll not let you get away with that. You really want to make sure that you're walking with the Lord the way you need to? You better see how you treat other people. Because God God cares about that. Especially how you treat other people in the exercise of your religion. Jesus just won't play. He just won't play with them. So let me draw a couple of... A couple of uh, principles and application, we'll go home. Here's the first one. When we marginalize people in order to protect our traditions, we're wrong. When we marginalize people just so that we can protect our traditions, we're just wrong. We have to be really careful about that. Because some traditions are, you know, we just do them. We don't even think about what that is how they... You know, what helped me one time, I was dealing with a church that was transitioning. It had been mostly older folks, and then I became pastor there, and I was younger than the previous pastor, and so the demographic in the church started changing, which was easy for a while. All the, everybody loved it when new, younger families started coming in. And, all that. and then there happened to be enough of them that they could start swinging business meeting votes. And then everything changed at that point and I started noticing that some of these good fine saints of God were digging their heels in and massacring young Christians I started processing through that why would somebody fight and die and kill somebody else over a tradition Here, here's it's kind of one of those head slapping oh well that makes sense kind of truths that I discovered in all of that every tradition at some point was a new idea somewhere somebody was the first one to come up with that idea and that group of people said well let's try that and they tried it and everybody went wow that was good let's do that but the problem is you do that long enough and sooner or later you forget the good idea part of it and then just becomes something that we've always done Well, see, younger people, and hear this, newer people coming in, they don't have that history. All they know is, that's dumb. Why are we doing that? And maybe it's not dumb, it just doesn't fit who they happen to be, and so they come in with new ideas, and so churches split over that kind of stuff. So just hang on to this, because when I finish the sermon, you'll understand why this is so important. When we marginalize people in order to hang on to our traditions, we're wrong about that. Secondly, we're also wrong when the system takes precedence over people. We can get so locked up and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars making sure that the system is well-oiled and everything's working the way it's supposed to be, but we haven't seen somebody come to know Christ in months. That's a problem. That's a real problem. So with all of that, here's why I think it matters. All that, by the way, I get from this passage because they were running their system. This is how you get close to God. This is how you get God to be pleased with you. And Jesus said, but you're killing these people. You're willing to not help this guy on the Sabbath just because it's the Sabbath. Here's why I think It matters. And I'm talking now to the members here. Not that I'm trying to rule anybody out, but this is a message primary for the members. This is all important to us because this year, 2014, must be a breakout year for our church. We are too well resourced and we have too much going for us to be willing to sit back and just rock along. There is a community full of people here. And I point this way, that's Lumberton, but Sealsby and Kuntz and the whole, we have a community full of people who desperately need Jesus Christ. And to settle into a nice, comfortable, tradition-based approach leaves those people to die. And as we've seen this week, some of them are dying. It has to be a breakout year for us. Before this day is over, we'll have our monthly committee meetings. I'm charging all of our committees to figure out how to help us make this a breakout year. I believe that God was going to call us into account for how faithful we are To the resources he's given. And here's how it all fits. As we do that, we start reaching into the community and pulling people here to help them grow, like we've been talking about. (laughs) Some of them are going to be the ones you don't want your kids hanging out with. If we do our job right, some of them are going to be those kids. Some of them are going to come in here and they're going to have a whole different perspective on life than what you might have. So remember what's going on in this passage. Most preachers approach these verses as if the new and the old, you know, Jesus is the new and the law is the old. But let me go back and read here. I told you I'd come back to it, so I'll finish with this. Verse 36 of chapter 5, it says, He also told them a parable. Here's the deal. Uh, This is right in the middle of this section that we've been talking about. That tells me that Luke intentionally helps us to understand Jesus is teaching something from all of this. It's not only about the problems between Jesus and the religious leaders. Now it's also a lesson for the church, and he says this, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old And so what we find is, you know, we we have this tendency to believe, well, Jesus is the new and Pharisees represent the old. Uh, That could be, but I'm not so sure about that. Let's read the next one. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Now, I said in the early service, Brian's our local uh, wine connoisseur over here, so he can... (laughs) No, I don't know if that's true or not. I just like picking on Brian. Um... I don't know that much about wine and wine skins especially, but uh, it's not hard to figure out what Jesus is saying. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. In other words, this new doesn't fit with the old And our tendency and preachers approach this and they tend to say Jesus is the new and the Pharisees and all that stuff represent the old. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Part of the reason I say that, first, the the, uh, parable makes no sense with verse 39 unless you take it a different way. And no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good. I'm told that aged wine is better than new wine. I don't know. I'm guessing that must be true. Jesus says it. And he states it as a fact. The parable, to me, seems to fit all of this by saying, Jesus, remember he said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So that doesn't make sense that he would be saying, I'm the new and the old and the new don't fit. I think that what he's saying is, he's calling this religious system to task, to say, the old has always been good enough with God. Put God first, love people what Jesus models here but they're hanging new stuff on it and he says the new doesn't fit that you're killing people there's a better way how's the new year going to be for you I think that last statement that I gave you causes me to ask you the question out with the old really do we really want to throw away God's design for life God first People matter. Let's go walk with him. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we come to this end of this service, we know that there has been enough truth seen in your word here to challenge every one of us about how we go into the new year. So we pray that you would just give us what we need, whether it's honesty or courage maybe even intensity to ask ourselves a question and let your spirit work within us to change us where we need to be changed. Give us eyes to see people who are hurting, people in this community who are living at the mercy of the, the enemy, the deceiver who promises life and delivers death. Help us to be intentional and intense in our pursuit of you. And as you love us, help us to spread that love to other people. And may it start with each of us today is our prayer in Christ's name.